Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. I'm in the studio today with a man who has overcome a huge amount of adversity from the minute he was born. He experienced bullying for the way he looked and he led a life of self-loathing for 20 years. But something changed. And I'm delighted to say that he's since founded his own foundation, Love Me, Love My Face. And he's here, sat opposite me today, to talk to me about his experience. Welcome to the podcast, John O'Lancaster. Thank you for having me. Although I know a little bit about you, for those that don't know a lot about you, um, you know, we share something in common that we both live with a visible difference. Mm -hmm. And your visible difference is a genetic condition called Treacher Collins. Is that right? That's correct. But for anyone who's not familiar with um, this condition, could you explain it in layman's terms for us? Okay, so Treacher Collins for me is um, I don't have any cheekbones so that's why my appear my eyes appear uh, different they slant downwards I guess my ears haven't developed properly so I call them my little Bart Simpson ears I absolutely love them they don't get cold in winter they don't pop on flights um, they don't pop they don't pop now yeah I, I love my little ears my jaw is a little receded so I'm a terrible snorer <laughs> is that to do with bone lack of bone structure so though? that's the, yeah the development of the jaw right um I'm, I'm actually one of the lucky ones with Treacher Collins. There are for, there are individuals that need help with their breathing mm-hmm. through, through a trach, and they're fed through a G-tube. Mm-hmm. So the levels of severity are just determined at birth. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some people that you wouldn't even recognise that have got Treacher Collins. Oh, it, right. it might just be an ear or it might just be a slight difference with the, with the eyes. Um, and then you've, you've got individuals that have to have a lifetime of surgeries just so they can breathe and mm-hmm. yeah some of those cases are, are tough, tough to see. Is it to do with the chromosomes at birth then? So I was a genetic mutation. Right okay. No family history of, of Treacher Collins and mm-hmm. uh, there was just a mu- mutation in the gene and here I am with, with born with Treacher Collins. Right and functionally is your hearing affected? So I wear a hearing aid. Yeah. So mine's a bone anchored hearing aid. Basically a little screw that sticks out of my head ever slightly. Mm-hmm. And then a hearing aid, like a press stud, just clips onto it. Um, and again, absolutely love it. When it, The fact that I can pick and choose when I want to hear is <laughs> is always an added bonus. <laughs> yeah. And, and in terms of other functions with your eyes, um, mm-hmm. do you have any issue? Because I know for myself, um, underneath my eyes is skin grafts. And over the years, as that's tightened and it, I've had the skin being pulled down, it's affected me with dryness mm-hmm. and infections and, mm-hmm. and also my sight, not being able to kind of lubricate the eyes. Does it have any effect on your function? Yeah, so my eye, as you can see with my right one especially, it's dry at the moment. I'm going through a, a course of eye drops. So for me, when I blink, right. my eyes don't close properly. So they never get that lubrication. So mm-hmm. they always get dry or they're prone to getting dry and the, and the infections. Air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I hate aircon. I'd rather melt. Yes. Yeah, so painful. Um, when I'm on my, my, my bike cycling, when I'm running and the wind's in my eyes... Oh, it's 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 bad, yeah. Do you wear like sporting glasses or anything? I always wear little glasses. No, so again, 
the idea with glasses as well is they hook around your ears. Oh, of course. So yeah. I, they don't. They just glasses just slide off my face. Yeah. Um, so finding glasses, I. Is, is a nightmare which I've had to try every pair on mm-hmm. then they've got to do some moulding so they clip to my face and then they try and put a band around the back of my head yeah, and okay. then I've, it's a nightmare so I, I tend not to wear glasses yeah. um, like sunglasses I, I, reading glasses yes but not the sports ones and have you had to have a, a long kind of medical journey have you needed treatment or surgery or any kind of procedures yeah, so ever since I was I was young, uh, me and my mum would come down to Great Ormond Street Hospital mm-hmm. uh, from up north, and I would. That's a long journey. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a lot mom, of ice by. <laughs> yeah, we always left on the first train, which was six a.m. Mum would pack my maths homework and my English homework, no. ready ready for the train. <laughs> Um, and we'd come down to London and sometimes we were there for a couple of days trying to bulk his appointments up. Yeah. Mum would always take me to some museum to try and make it a little bit of an adventure as well. Yeah. Because I hated missing time from school. I hated yeah. missing weekends with my friends and, and stuff like that. Are those hospital appointments bad memories? A mixture. I always remember going into my surgeries with a little He-Man figure. Right. He was like a, a wolf slash fox and you clicked his thing on his back and his arms went up and down. Right. I always remember some of the local anaesthetic ones where I was just had a drape over me. Some random hand would come under the <laughs> under the drape and just hold my hand. No idea who that whose hand was that, but it was so comforting. I was in my teenage years, around 13. 14 and I had a surgery and what um, was the surgery just for an upgrade so this back in the day um with my screw I always had to have it checked up mm-hmm. and with any screws it become loose mm-hmm. so on a routine checkup doctor had basically put his little screwdriver into my head and tightened me up and one routine checkup he op- over snapped over tightened it snapped it Screw came out, so I had to have it redone. Right. I was used to hospitals, but I guess when you get older, <coughs> surgeries do become a little bit hard or a lot harder because... You're more aware, aren't you? You have a lot more aware, yes. Um, time off work, um, relationships mm. become more complex. Um, and I did wonder, like, because, you know, I don't know what it's like to go through your childhood and have such an extensive medical journey. But because you're as a child, you're so accepting, do you think... It becomes your normal. You know, other kids are playing football and going on play dates and you just accept that you're spending quarter of the year effectively or probably more in hospital. Um, yeah, so two points. Um, it did become my normal. Mm. And I think that's why I, I guess I was more used to it than somebody else who wasn't exposed to that. Uh, but then following on to that with your situation, I imagine halfway through your life or at a point in your life having something like what you have experienced to me that's harder to to manage or to, harder to overcome you know so there's a, I don't know because it's, yeah. it's, it's that it's, debate yeah. isn't it like mm-hmm. whenever I meet other people with disfigurements um because I meet a lot of burn survivors mm-hmm. naturally, but I don't meet a lot of people with genetic conditions. And when I do, it's that interesting debate of is it harder to happen in your adult years or is it harder to be born with it all your life? And I don't think there's an answer because, you know, I think what you've been through is incredibly difficult. And, you know, having to be strong all that time. And also sometimes the innocence of looking different as a child, but never fully understanding what that's going to mean in the adult world. Mm-hmm. 
you know, was there that transition where when you're young, everyone's kind and sympathetic, not everyone, but some people sympathetic. And when you get into the adult world of dating and jobs, is, is that a whole different ballgame? Yeah. So I was born in a small village in Featherston, close to my heart. And everybody knew me and my mum. This is Yorkshire. And yeah. This is Yorkshire. If you can't tell, we need subtitles. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that, that was home for me. Um, the local rugby club supported me through my surgeries, gave me cards and like little sign shirts and That's stuff nice. like that. And I was always ma- match day mascot. So everybody knew me. And it was it became a safe... Yes, there was bullying, but it became a safe place. How bad was the bullying? Because I think when you live with a visible difference, your scale's different to other people. What's bad? It was always the older kids pulling their eyes down, folding their ears over. Um, but the worst one for me was the playground game of uh, run away from Jono in case you catch his germs or in case you catch his leggy. Or if, or, so up north we play a lot of rugby. Yeah. Um, at rugby training, you know, the, the lad's not wanting to tackle me. Again, those comments, oh, if you tackle him, you'll end up getting his disease. Yeah. That hurt. Um, were boys worse than girls or? Different. Different. Boys are a lot more blunter. Yeah. They'll they'll say it to my face in a sense that they'd want to make their friends laugh. Mm-hmm. It's like an entertainment. It's like a show. Girls would ask me out as a dare or as a joke and I think there was a little bit more malice yeah. in that. Like premeditated kind of spitefulness. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there was um, a girl in high school called Katie. Oh, no. Okay. Right. And she she was a, a year younger than me um, and she, she used to flick. There were those bracelets with candies on. Yeah, I remember those. And used to flick them and used to bite them and shoot people. Yeah. yeah? And she used to do that to me all the time. And um, I was like, I, it upset me one day. And I was like, why are you doing it? She's like, oh, you know, it's an innocent sort of flirting, you know. Uh, do you fancy meeting up sometime after school and hanging out, what have you? And I was like, oh, okay. How old were you at this point? I was in year 10. Okay, so about 14. 14. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we agreed to meet up the following day. Chesney's was like a youth club and um, at that point in my life I was cutting my own hair um, mm-hmm. I had a fear of the hairdressers I hated the mirror mm-hmm. uh, so mum would always give me five pounds uh, go and get your hair cut mum would leave the house I'd go into the kitchen get kitchen scissors out and give me this wonky ball cut um, Be- because you just found it so difficult to see your reflection oh, I hated my reflection when I was a teenager my teenage years but was definitely the worst mm-hmm. and those old school men's hairdressers where there's one chair everybody sits around the edge mm-hmm. tv's not really working back in day and everybody mm-hmm. just stared at the person having their hair cut well that's the thing you feel like everyone's looking at you not just you looking at you you know and and i and i was in the mindset of everybody were looking at me anyway mm-hmm. um every laughter i heard i assumed that they were laughing at me every Body looking at me, I assumed that they were looking at me in a negative way. But also, why wouldn't you? Because actually that was proven to be right at school from the way you were treated. You know, it's not mm-hmm. really like a case of paranoia. That was the what you were on the receiving end of. Does it still happen in this day and age in adult years then? It's not as bad. Not as bad. But there are, there are the odd ones. From I, other adults or from children? It's mainly adults. It's crazy, isn't it? You would think like when people are then educated and older that this kind of thing would just go, but 
It's not the case. I mean, growing up, going through school, were you able to complete school? Did you fail? Like, how did you know? There's so many distractions whilst trying to get an education. So, up to year nine was tough, and then the older kids started leaving and, and progressing, and then that school became okay. And then me and my mum came to London, Great Ormond Street Hospital, and we'd always get from the King's Cross um, over to uh, to Great Ormond Street on Tube, and we were sat over the over the way from a couple on the tube and started pulling their eyes down at me. Adults. Adults. And looking at me and, and I knew they were talking about me. And, and by this time I was like, it's part of everyday life now. This were is... they British or were they a different culture? What's I, I don't know, just a young couple. Yeah. And the worst thing was, they were all like loved up. And I was getting to this age where I was like, okay, I want a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh my God, I hope that I have that in my life. Yeah. I hope I have... A, a best friend, mm-hmm. an in, an intimacy and a connection with with a with a girl, I guess. And then um, they started making fun of me, and they almost went from I idolise this couple to yeah. like oh, you you're another horrible person. You lose your respect, yeah, yeah. And then um, our our stop came. Um, I got me and mum stood up, and we went to get off. And my mum's still on the tube. And she's talking to this couple and she turns around and she steps off and she's got tears rolling down her cheeks. And that that was one of the first times where I kind of realised my mum was going through it too and and other people saw this. And we had conversations and my mum, she would always say, you know, if I'd go to a pub or a bar... You know, people might say comments and they might, she was trying to prepare me for for mm. later on in life. And I kind of never understood it until you were that innocent. point. What did she say to the couple? Do you know? I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> and it's hard, isn't it? Like when somebody you love and respect, you see them cry and you see them hurt. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's right. It's completely wrong. But you feel guilty. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I started to put barriers up with my mum. So... My mum, she's not even five foot. She's incredible. She's always told me. So I was placed for I was placed for adoption, and my mum's always told me she met me at two weeks old. And so when you were she, placed for ad- adoption. Do you know why? My paperwork that that I have the opening paragraph goes: Jonathan Lancaster was born on the thirty first of the tenth, nineteen eighty four. Both parents felt no maternal bond for the child. Both parents were horrified by the child's appearance. Both parents left the hospital 36 hours later, leaving the child behind. My goodness. How old were you when you read that statement? I read that statement when I was... I was in my 20s when I read that. Um, And throughout my... My mum's always told me I was adopted. So that's been common knowledge. It's been common knowledge. And she's always told me when she first saw me, she she fell in love with me. And this, she was, she is a star. She was a single mom in her forties, didn't own her own home. Mm-hmm. Her children had grown up. Just this incredible lady, and she's always told me I was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you were fostered by her originally, and then yes. she adopted you. Yeah, she fostered children that had disabilities, mm-hmm. hard to place children, I guess. And I always asked my mom, why didn't I have a dad? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I used to play football, football training, everybody would say, oh, why's your grandma brought you? And I was like, that's my mum. She was an older lady. Mm. And then when we'd go on school trips and you'd have to bring your birth certificate in, Mm. I would always bring my adoption certificate in. And I was like, oh, you know, my mum went to the hospital and out of all the other kids, my mum chose me. You know, your mum and dad got stuck with you. My mum chose me. That's how special I am. 
But then as I got older and I started hating my face and hating the world mm-hmm. and questioning whether I ever would get a job, whether I've, I would ever find love. So I'm always questioning my mum why. And my mum would always say, you know, well, they just couldn't cope. Mm. And I was like, all right, okay, enough, I went. And she then, was protecting you, like yeah. that's mother's instinct, isn't yeah. it? And then I got a little bit more, I got older and I got angrier. And you're having to cope. You've had to cope from Ooh. day dot, so why couldn't they cope? I never asked that question. It was always, why could this tiny little human being do it and not two young young parents? And, you know, she was like, well, well, you know, you look different and you had to go to, to your, all your operations, remember? And, you know, they just couldn't, just couldn't cope with that. And then all of a sudden I'm kind of building my own picture up of why they left me. Yeah, which um, is worse for your self-esteem, isn't it? Making all those conclusions and... I, yeah, I... It was all, all this was going on in my head. And children, now that go through fostering adoption, they get like life story books. Mm-hmm. So there's information there for them to read. And this is what happened at various stages of your life. Me, I was just kind of watching this story in my head. And and it kind of gradually got worse. I always imagined that my mum and my birth parents had blonde hair, blue eyes, mm. Um my mum was a singer. Uh, my dad played guitar. <laughs> I'm <laughs> loving your imagination. <laughs> yeah. And they were always in love. But as this story got on, they they became tired and the, the, the blonde hair became less blonde and the eyes became tighter and tireder and it shifted. And I got angry and, yeah, it was such... It was my own story. It was my own doing that I'd created. Um, but that's all you had to go with. You had nothing else to yeah. go with. But now, when I think about my birth parents um, and all the things that I've read about them, um, all the things that I've thought about them in the past, the truth is the only thing that I know is those two people, they gave me life. And it's up to me to live my life, fill it up with adventure, Love, excitement, mm. and you know, and for that, I'm forever grateful. Um, I wish I'd have had that outlook a, a lot sooner. But how could you? Because you know, it's actually life that gives us all these foundations. And when your foundations is so tough, you know, that starting block is so tough. You know, you did a bloody good job with the position that you were in. Yeah, I appreciate you, you saying that, but I, I guess this led me to where I am today, where I value. You know, we share our journeys, we share our stories, mm. we share our thoughts. And it's the power of meeting other people that have gone mm-hmm. through those similar journeys. I craved that when I was younger. If I had have met somebody that was adopted Did when you I was ever younger, meet anyone? Not just adopted, but anyone with a visible difference? Or? Again, extending to the, the differences, my mum told me when I was really young that I went to a few support groups Mm. with children with facial differences but I was too young to remember yeah my earliest memory of meeting somebody with Treacher Collins was when I was in my 20s right okay um so again that that motivates me to I mean I, I travel around meeting children now and adults that haven't met anybody with Treacher Collins before Mm. um so it's motivated me to do what I do and I I do that's an importance definitely just going back one last time to your birth parents now you're older have you ever tried to meet them or see a photo of them or find out where they live or anything like that I tried to contact my birth parents when I was 24 25 Mm. 
at one point in my life, I hated my birth parents. I yeah. wanted to hurt them as much as I was hurting. Which I think is pretty natural, isn't it? You know, yeah. you have to get rid of anger. It's one of the first emotions, isn't it, the experience? And So we, I went through an adoption agency. It was very important for me to go through the right channels. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people use social media to, yeah. to find biological families, and I wouldn't necessarily advise that. Mm. And so I went through an after-adoption agency, and the lady called Chris, she sat me down and advised me that the chances of it being a positive outcome were very slim. Mm. Do I still want to go through with it? So I said yes. Uh, we wrote them a letter and then a few, maybe a week or so later, we got a letter back from them. It was from their solicitor and it said, regarding this subject, we do not wish any contact. Further attempts will be ignored. And then both my parents had signed it. My goodness. It's... <laughs> and even though I was prepared for it, I sat with Chris and I was like, okay, we were expecting this. And then I got in my car outside the building and I cried and I cried and I cried. And um, and I spoke to my family about it and, and I moved on from it. It's good that you had that relationship where you could talk openly. You know, we, we're talking a lot about mental health in, in, mm-hmm. in media and stuff. And it's usually men that find that they can't, you know, admit their vulnerability. And it sounds like you've been very good at being able to talk and air things. You know, that's quite a, a strength to have. So I believe I've always been a good talker, mm. sharing things. I, I put walls up against my mum because I wanted to protect her. Mm. I had also this, my mum's so small, I was like, I'm the man of the house. <laughs> I'm just basically imagining like a funny <laughs> yeah. pocket, the way you're yeah. describing it. Yeah, um, I'm the man of the house and it's my job to protect her. Mm. Well, that time I saw her cry on the tube, broke my heart. And like yeah. you said, I felt so guilty. Yeah. So I was like, I'm, I'm protecting my mum. So I'd, this little superhero that I had in my life, I stopped using her, I stopped yeah. talking to her. Health professionals would come along and say... What they'll try and support me, and I just had this horrible, horrible attitude. You don't look like me, so how can you support me? Well, I think it's understandable because your pain is a personal, private pain that people couldn't imagine. You know, I always think we're a facial disfigurement. There's no day off. You know, people that are unconfident about their body, but which may be things they could change or things that they can't change, but they could cover. You know, they have those days off. They have that they had that luxury to decide who they disclose this difference to. Mm-hmm. And it might only be a small group of circle of people they will be physically intimate with, whereas if others don't get that side of them. But when it's on your face, there's no choice. You know, people with no education, no mm-hmm. IQ can give their feedback on something that's on display for everyone. That's true. And it's hard, isn't it? Because it sums up for you that that's how society works. They just judge you like that. You know, one minute they they they're shouting catcalls at you, the next minute they're they're yeah. throwing rubbish at you like they would at the bin. You know, yeah, that's horrible. But it's probably not yeah. that surprising for you because you understand that. I, un- I understand that. Um, a big part of you is you're you're a personal trainer, is that right? I used yeah. to be a personal, personal trainer. trainer. I okay. moved on from that life. Um, so you left school, and is that what you did when you first left school? So um, I was a really bright lad. Yeah. Top classes all the way through school. That's quite phenomenal, considering yeah. the crap you had to put up with. No, year 10 and year 11. So my mum would give me, she would give me £5 dinner money for me. Right. Every day, or every other day. And I would get a cucumber sandwich, 
with mayonnaise for 30 pence, mm -hmm. left with £4.70 change, I would buy cigarette or alcohol and I would give that out at playground. Started off with sweets and it, yeah. it got gradually worse as I got older and all those kids just surrounded me. Oh, what's Jono got today? What's Jono got? Oh, Jono, you're a ledge. Is this as... your way to be popular then? Yes. Yeah. This is what guys are doing now yep. to get women. They're buying them shoes, bags. This mm -hmm. is still happening with everybody. Yeah, yeah 100%, you know? <laughs> yes. And then I became disruptive in school back chatting the teachers, uh, start setting fire to things, uh, going trouble with the police. And then all of a sudden, I was going to school to survive. Because it kind of, you could say, oh, you were a rebel then. It's like, well, no, maybe you were channeling a lot of anger. Again, I wasn't talking to anybody. Yeah. I made the massive mistake of not talking to anybody. Um, I wanted to take the focus away from my face. So yeah. I tried to focus it elsewhere and just got through college because I ended up in an abusive relationship. Oh, what, physically or mentally? Mentally. Right, okay. That's hard. So at 16, 17, I, used to, I started going out drinking. Mm. And I spent more time hiding in the in the toilets than I did interacting with people. Why? What? Tell me. I, I hated clubs and bars. Everybody's yeah. flirting. I'd spend more time looking at my feet with my fringe over my face because, again, as you, you, you said, like, oh, he's dressed nice. And so I'm dancing, looking at the floor. Yeah. And then as soon as people saw my face or girls saw my face, they'd stop dancing with me or they'd yeah. back off. They, they, they were that harsh. I hated it. They'd try and do it subtle or... Their friends would call, hate them. the friends would come and rescue them. Yeah, and you're not stupid. You know the signs. You know, and then yeah. you know how it plays out. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's horrible. And then the, the, if I got through the night, at least it was dark and I can hide away. And mm. um, everybody would go, go and get a takeaway. Takeaways are like the brightest like lights. Blue lights. Yes. Yeah. And and again, all of a sudden, I've gone from being hidden away somewhat to back on show again and everyone's inhibitions are lowered because they've been drinking just so they have no filter mm -hmm. i hated takeaway so i used to i used to walk home yeah can um, i just say this is exactly the same for me even yeah. now i would not go into them because i just know how bright it is and how abusive people are yeah but when i was what so 17 16 17 18 i'm going through this phase and that's when i started getting suicidal thoughts right um on my on my on my way home from the nightclub was called Kiko's. And, Sounds uh, classy. <laughs> <laughs> you stuck to the floor when you were walking around. Yeah. <laughs> when you walked around. And I'd walk home and on that way home there was a crematorium. And I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. So I always like walked in middle at road yeah. around this crematorium. Sounds wise, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the taxis would come it was on a hill and the taxis would come down this hill so fast um into into my local village. And one of these taxis came down this hill and it nearly hit me because I'm in the, in right. the road. And I panicked, composed myself and I continued to walk. And that was the first time in my life where I want I realised that I wanted that taxi to hit me. Right, subconsciously, yeah. And, and when I talk about my suicidal thoughts, I never wanted to um, self-harm or take a tablet or, mm. or do anything like that. I wanted to be in an accident. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be taken out from this from this life. So 17-year-old Jonathan then um, picks up his phone and, you know, texts your neighbour. Okay. You change the last two digits of a phone number and text or you call. So I used to start calling these numbers, changing the last two digits and a phone call. And I'd be like, hey, oh, sorry, I think I've dialed the wrong number. Well, don't worry, it's okay. Hang up the phone. If it were a female's voice, 
I would send them a message. Oh, I'm really, really sorry about that. Um, you've got a cute accent. Where mm-hmm. are you from? Or where's your accent from? Never ever got a reply mm-hmm. or leave me alone. One day, um, a girl messaged me back from London. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, we were saying each other, we loved each other. And then three, four weeks, I didn't tell my mum where I was going. Jumped on a train down south and spent some time with this girl. And, and had you told her about the condition you were born with? Nope. Um, Not at all? Nope. Um, I told every lie under the sun. Right. So I sent a photo of one of my best friends. Right, And, okay. and said that was me. Mm. Said that I worked in, worked in a sports shop. Right. Nothing of the sort. And I met this girl and... For some, for for somebody, I was my first. That was my first sexual encounter that mm. night. And how did you when you when you met her? Was it literally you met at the station, and we, that's the we, first time you saw each other? We met at the train station. I, I bought bought some flowers. Very romantic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Top points. Yeah, red roses. Lovely. Trimmed my own bowl. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, getting quite good at it by then, though. I'd imagine. Yep, and. I we was at the other side of the road and she's phoning me she's like where are you where are you and I'm like I'm here I'm the only mm. person on the, 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 the platform so again she's now working out okay don't look like the photos and then we had to go under the underpath um, to see her and um, her dad had brought her down to the train station and I sat in that taxi ride Dad's in a dad's car looking out of the window petrified to look at her oh god the bloody dad was there okay um and then we got to her house, I said hello to everybody, and we went to her bedroom, and all she kept on saying is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Because you were obviously so low confidence, you weren't making eye contact. Because obviously she thought, she was expecting the image that I sent of my friends. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I looked at her and she's like, why didn't you tell me? I think that was one of the first times I opened up to somebody. Yeah, I mean, almost in a way, isn't it better to be confronted than pretend it's not happening, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Because I hated talking about my face. Yeah, yeah. And I was was made to talk about my face. Yeah, she confronted you and you had nowhere to hide. Yeah, yeah, she called me out. Yeah. Um, And rightly so, what I did was wrong and horrible. Well, no, what you did was based on past experience, Mm -hmm. life experience, and you weren't deceiving somebody. You were going as authentically you. You weren't sending someone else. No. You, were, you were waiting to be given the chance in person mm-hmm. before somebody prejudged you without knowing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think it's the same as years and years of deception and just, you know, lying to somebody. Yeah, true. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, there was no malice in from me there. No. Um, but then I ended up in a relationship with this girl for a year. And so that night, was it actually a relief of she saw you and accepted you at face value? This was you, you know, was that was that euphoric moment? That was the first time I'd had, I had sex. Mm-hmm. And the fact that somebody found me sexually attractive was like the ultimate. It's a real boost, yeah. Massively. yeah. And later on in life, 19, 20, 21, I, I, sex was my drug. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody finding me sexually attractive was the biggest confidence booster. Well, because it's almost not about the sex, it's about the acceptance mm-hmm. of, you know, it's not only saying you're okay in a capacity how you'd feel at work with friendship, it's saying you arouse someone and turn them on. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really confirming to you that this is all right, I'm all right, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember for me, I didn't, after what happened to me, I didn't have sexual relationship for three years two of those I didn't want to and and the other year I couldn't I couldn't meet when I met people they didn't want to pursue things with me it couldn't get that far so when it when it finally did it was the same feeling of oh I'm normal to some people and it's not a you know particularly when you're the woman and knowing the guy can physically have sex with you you're like I I can make somebody feel that way like and it is beyond the sex I think you know it's the psychology behind it yeah again it's Obviously, there is just sex. Yeah. But for me, when I was intimate with somebody or sexual with somebody, in my head, it's like this person is turned, like you said, around yeah. by turned. I'm, and that was the ultimate thing for me. Because you can't lie about that. That's confirmation. You know, you can mm-hmm. get really well-meaning people. You're beautiful anywhere. You've got mm-hmm. a great personality. I don't notice it, yeah. which is very nice. But actually, you want re- the reality. Yeah, yeah. action. Yeah. I'll uh, put this one out for us <laughs> 9 o'clock, I think. Yeah. Uh, but then... She was in a dark place herself. Right. So what, she had low self-esteem? She had low self-esteem. And I, and I, I want to be respectful for her as well in this conversation. But she did a lot of things to me, with me and to me that I didn't want to do. Um, what, like coercive control? Like what, what kind of... She, I weren't allowed to see my friends. Okay, yeah. I weren't allowed to choose the clothes that I wore, the music that I listened to. I, I had me and my mum didn't have. We had very little money. Um, I was. We were given help from my education. Yeah. Maintenance allowance. It was called. That money had to go to to her it's for a, classic a cig- controller and yeah uh, for a cigarettes and a, a, a phone. Um, me and my mum ended up taking this girl in. Um, I was I was going through college at the time, and this girl didn't go to college. I, me and mum, would go out for the day, and we'd get home, and the food had been eaten. Yeah. The, there was there were a load of people that had been in the house, and and she broke up with me a year later, and I was broken hearted. Yeah, well, just like any young person, maybe it's your first mm-hmm. love, you know. Um. But I put up with it all and I accepted it all because she was intimate with me. Yeah. Um, there were times when we'd go out. I remember a time on her birthday, we stayed in a hotel. Mm. And um, that night she spent a night with her, her ex-boyfriend and I spent the night on my own. The following morning we woke up and she was like, oh, no, nothing happened. And it just there were a lot of stories like that where there were other people involved in the relationship. And it didn't add up. And and I knew something something was going on and um, and I just accepted that. That See, people listening... That's the sort of love that I deserved. Yeah, that's the thing. People listening would say, why didn't you, you know, if you knew that, it would be more for you. And it's like, this is the first person outside your family who has accepted you. They don't have Mm -hmm. to accept you, you know. And even like you talked about your story from your birth parents, all the rejection you'd face, here was somebody accepting you for you. So you want to do whatever you can to cling on to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, now in hindsight, you can see it's unhealthy, but when you're in it, it's completely different. Yeah, I would have done anything for that. At that stage in my life, I would have done anything to try and keep that relationship. And I did 
I did. I cut away friends. Mm. My, my mum's relationship was terrible. Which is crazy when how close you are. Um, so, um, yeah, thankfully, you know, we've we both moved on and I'm in a far better place now. Well, that's the thing about you. I mean, this is the, the part I knew about you. You know, you've got this amazing tenacity and strength and this love for life. And you've got this, you know, incredibly difficult backstory of the life you lived, not just your condition, but, you know, everything you went through. And, you know, the, the, the John I, the public you now, you travel all around the world to different continents mm -hmm. um, and you educate other people, you mentor other people. You know, how did these two worlds switch? Like, how did you make this change um i came out of this relationship with this girl mm -hmm. that's when i was at my darkest right i mean i got angry with myself because i couldn't change my face mm -hmm. to health professionals they always spoke about oh we can do this surgery where we can build your cheekbones up we can build your ears up and um, we can pull your face forward uh, your jaw forward do you want this and i mm -hmm. would always say no and the reason why i said no is because I wanted your face. Mm -hmm. I wanted a new face. Mm -hmm. I wanted the guy, my next door neighbor's face, my best friend's face. I didn't want to improve this face. And for people listening that don't understand, because now it's a society of people want a big bum, they have a bum job, and they think, well, if it was me, I'd just fix it. Like you're explaining, it's not like that. If you had facial surgery for your eyes, you would go through an extensive recovery with possible failures, infections. You would have new scars, donor sites on your body. It's not, people always go, why don't you? plastic surgery and they don't understand it's not like Kim Kardashian yeah. you know it's completely different you and might it, end up worse off you, yes and surgery does work for some people and I, and I respect that but in hindsight I do believe we go every emotion that we have in life teaches us something and mm. happens for a reason and that prevented me from having surgery and and I'm for me I'm glad that uh, my face hasn't changed because I love, I love my eyes, I love my ears. and. But what a great place, like everyone in life, no matter what we go through, strives to be in mm. a place where we know ourselves, we know what we're about, we know what our mm. purpose is, we know what we want. And it really feels to me like, you know, at 35, you know all that. Especially the last 10 years, I've always thought and analysed why am I, uh, how have I got to this point? And it's because I've had to practice mm -hmm. self-love. I've had to practice accepting myself yeah. right from day one. But it started when I was 20. Mm. My friend who helped me set up the charity, Ben, he was one of the boys who clicked his fingers and all the girls would come running. Yeah, He got me a job in a bar. Um, an 80s bar when oh, I was okay. 20 years old and I was like dude no chance I'm not working in an 80s bar because I just find it's me working in a bar I would no no well, it's chance. a front facing role isn't it yes people walking in and seeing me stood behind the bar mm -hmm. we ended up fighting but that Thursday student night I was stood behind the bar Frankie says relaxed t-shirt oh, um, cool. yeah <laughs> And I'm there, and I'm a, I am proud of myself. My mum's like a giddy little puppy, like a little Yorkshire Terry, so happy. <laughs> and that rubbed off onto me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm there. Dripping with sweat, yeah, yeah, a yeah. nervous wreck looking at my feet, but I was there. But you did it anyway. I'd like I that. did it. And that's the strength, isn't it? You could have just locked yourself away. Well, I tried. I did try, but like but I said, here you were, then, you but, got back up, you dusted yourself uh, up, and you went out there. Yep. And then I'm stood behind this bar, and I'm doing it. And the bar gets busier and busier. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing the conversations. I'm hearing, I can't do it. Jump in a cab, leave to go home. I must have lasted 45 minutes. 
And as soon as I opened the front door, my mum's there. She must have been waiting at the bottom of the stairs for me. And she's like, how did it go? I was like, mum, the money's not right. The hours are not right. She just stopped me. I wanted to cry and I wanted to tell my mum everything. Couldn't tell her that, yeah. And she was like, oh, don't worry, something else will come along. She knew. She knew. Mum's no. Didn't leave the house for a week. Didn't clean my teeth, didn't wash, didn't eat, didn't, didn't participate in life at all. Back came Ben with his tough love. <laughs> quit being a bitch, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Went back to the bar. I stood behind the bar again that following week, wanting to leave. But a guy comes walking into the bar and I looked up and I got him at the door and he made a beeline straight to where I was serving. Huge bloke, head to toe in tattoos, had muscles coming out of muscles I didn't even know existed. (laughs) And everywhere I walked, his eyes just followed me. And I I looked at him and I thought, he's about to say something to me. Yeah, here we go. So I was like, all right, mate, what do you want to drink? Looking at my feet. And he was like, hold up, mate, what happened to your face? In front of everybody, and I hated talking about Mm -hmm. my face. I I was like, I was born like this what would you like to drink? And he's like, oh, no, no, hold up, mate. What's that in your head? Pointing to my hearing aid. And I, I'm just wanting to disappear. I'm like, yeah, and you're just trying to do a job. Just trying to do a job. Polite and be polite. And then he was like, oh, mate, what is, what's that in your head? And I was like, it's my hearing aid. And he's like, oh, are you deaf? And I was like, can't really hear we out it, mate. And he was like, oh, you know what, mate? I wish I were deaf. And I was waiting for the joke and I'm waiting for the insult. And I'm like, oh, why do you wish you were deaf? He was like, oh, I've got a wife at home. And she's so loud. I would just love to pick and choose when, I wa- when I'd be able to hear the wife. You know, you're lucky. He was kind of like, oh, it's cool that you wear a hearing aid so I don't have to listen to the wife. So he's you know, trying she's... to sort of find common ground. And then he was like, what's your name? Reached out his hand and he shook my hand. Asked me what I wanted to drink. And he was like, nice to meet you. And off he went. Because I said you'd never really experienced that up until that point. He was a local lad. Not necessarily well-spoken or well intellectual yeah. sort of thing. Or didn't have very good polite people skills. He was very blunt and straight to the point. But I'd gotten him completely wrong. Yeah. He was just curious. And from that moment, he taught me that he was like, oh. It's okay to talk about my face. And when people look at me and when people are trying to work out what's going on or what difference is, it's curiosity. It's not always malice. And I think uh, you're right because you don't want people to judge you. So you can't judge them and decide for them what they're thinking mm-hmm. because judgment works both ways, doesn't it? Really does. And that night, didn't leave the bar early. My mum's phoning me up. Where are you? And I was like, well, I'm at work. I think I might go for a drink later. So you were now buzzing. There was there was a slight attitude change. Yeah. He, he he shocked me. But also maybe like we're saying it was him, but it was you. Like you kind of opened your mind, you surrendered in a sense, and you you had a different experience that night within you as well. You know, it was a new experience. I was I continued to work in the in the bar, slightly growing in confidence, and then. The biggest thing in this period of, of my life was I met a, a girl right. called Beth. Uh, Beth wore skinny jeans, loved rock music. Oh, OK. I thought she was the coolest girl I've ever met. Properly, properly fancied the pants off her. Um, she just had a quirkiness about her. Yeah. Spoke her mind, sang sang Morrissey randomly. <laughs> we were both working there. Mm. She was like, Jono, do you fancy going out for a drink sometime? And by this point, I'd started going out afterwards. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, come and join us. We're all going out. And she was like, no, just me and you. Right, okay. 
I wanted to play it cool, but I was like, oh, I'm free tomorrow, Tuesday. Yeah, 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 like, I've just cancelled every plan I've ever had, <laughs> yes. so let me know. <laughs> yes. So we agreed to meet the following day. That night, cut my hair. Mm-hmm. Still uh, doing it yourself. Still yeah. doing it myself. Saving thousands of pounds a year. Yes. And then in my head, I'm like, you know what? She's going to ask me if Ben's single. Right, and that's what you're used to happening. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, she might not turn up. Yeah. I had to experience that. Try not to, to get my hopes up. Went to my local park and and we connected and we spoke. And it was one of the first times I'd experienced with somebody, you know, when you touch somebody and you feel yeah. like butterfly. Electric, and yeah, electric. It's yeah. Like, oh, my God, this is pretty amazing. This is, this is pretty special. Yeah. We were laughing, we were joking, we were sharing fears. Started getting cold, wet. So she invited me back to a student digs, a proper stinky student digs. Yeah, and um, we were sat in a stinky flat. No, no lights on, candles. Yeah, vegetarian curry with a cheap bottle of red wine. (laughs) And we sat face to face. So she's like, "Channel, can we talk about?" you we know what's what's going on with you and what's happened and <laughs> I don't know what you mean <laughs> yeah. and then straight away as soon as she starts doing that I'm like this isn't cool this isn't sexy this is not a date and I'm so disappointed with myself because you're like does she just feel sorry for me yeah. like is she friend zoning me like what I hated that friend zone thing my natural instinct is to look away hey I, I even now I struggle with eye contact uh-huh. And I look at the floor and she's, she's like, Jono, I find myself staring at you all the time. And again, I hated those words, stared. I hated that. And I'm looking at the floor, disappointed. She's like, I love your face. And she leans in and she kisses me. This is forward for a girl because girls don't normally do the first kiss. She's either. just the quirkiest, coolest person. And I honestly went from feeling ugly to thinking I'm the sexiest guy in the world. Yeah. I'm David Beckham, Brad but that's Pitt. That's the power oh, people's actions, haven't you? And are you still together now? No. Um, six months later, she broke up with me to go travelling. Right. But that was, again, that was the start of something. That was a positive experience. Massive, yeah. massively positive. And genuine acceptance, not sympathy, you know, not Especially abusive. from the previous relationship. Yeah. I had a passion for sport and fitness. Mm. I wanted to be a personal trainer, but how can I work in the, that industry when everybody's... Image of this, yeah. <laughs> Where am I going to fit into that? Every gym that you go to, you're surrounded by mirrors. Yeah. How can I do that? But I had this new confidence. I'd started dating people, having one night stands and started dating people, success and not success, just like everybody else. Got a job working at Fitness First. Mm-hmm. And then during this period of my life, I'm going to work every day in a gym, avoiding mirrors, even trying to teach classes, avoiding mirrors. One day, I bought some brand new trainers and I'm in the mirror checking my trainers out. Got my little short shorts on. Um, <laughs> You're putting it out there. <laughs> my, 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 my tight top. Because uh, I did become body obsessed. Yeah, because there was what was in your control. You were able to change. I, I imagined, so I started dating. And if you and I were dating, you're going to be talking to me about me with your friends mm. and I'm imagining that you're going to be having a conversation with all your girlfriends oh what are you dating him for yeah and they're like oh well his face ain't all that but his body's nice yeah so I because that's the way you've been treated growing up that's the messages that were coming to you so obsessed with sunbeds before I used to go out drinking I used to run in the sauna to try and dehydrate myself yeah foods I had a lot. I had, I had new issues. So and you had a lot of self-harming through exercise and diet, and yes. yeah. And I'm in the gym, and I'm in my short shorts with my brand new trainers on, and yeah. I look in this mirror, and I'm like, oh, I like my trainers. 
And then I see my legs and I'm like, oh, got nice legs onto my butt. And I was like, oh, got a kind of a cute butt. And I'm working my way up and I always stop at my face. Mm. And I never looked at that part. But this time I went up to my face, 20, 21 years old. And instead of feeling that urge to push my eyes up, mm. I smiled. And and that was just so empowering. And it, it wasn't premeditated. It was mm-hmm. just completely unexpected. I was smiling at my face. It was natural, yeah. It was, it was huge. It's such a brilliant turning point that you finally believed in yourself. And It wasn't something that I was specifically working for. Yeah. It just ha- happened. I guess what it is, is we're talking about experiencing true self-acceptance, you know, not trying to conform to look like anyone else or, or society's standards and looking in the mirror and saying, this is who I am. And I am what I am, and that's not that bad, you know. Um, I could talk to you for hours because we've got so so many different things in common, and I I suppose also because I admire you so, so much. I've actually found the interview quite emotional as well. Um, But I suppose for anyone listening, you know, they don't have to directly be going through what you went through, but they will be going through some of those emotions. Do you have a kind of piece of life advice for them to take home after this episode? Um, That's such a big question, isn't it? Sorry. It's a huge one. (laughs) So I do a lot of work in schools. Mm. And one of my encounters in a recent school, a girl had freckles. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous red hair. She came up to me and she's like, Chano, how did you do it? Do you look like that? Um, You've got a facial difference. You've been in hospital all the time. And you're so amazing. And and I'm going to look at, she she didn't like her freckles. Mm-hmm. She's like, I hate my freckles, but after sharing your story, you've got it far more harder than me. I'm going to start loving myself. And I was like, that's brilliant of you to say that. But I don't want you to compare your freckles to my facial difference. Mm. Your freckles are your Everest. My mm-hmm. teacher Collins is my Everest. So we should never, ever compare ourselves to other because you, mm-hmm. she has to live with her freckles every mm-hmm. single day. I have to live with myself every day and you have to live with yourself mm-hmm. every day. So each our own things have to be respected. It's all relative to that yes, person. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing for me every now and again, I check in with myself and I ask myself two questions. What do I love about myself? Mm-hmm. And I'll write it down. Yeah. And you put it on your fridge. Yeah. You that's your list and your nobody, visual list. Yeah. That's nobody can ever take that away. The trolls will come. People will you you might get rejected. You might have ill health. You might go through a breakup. You might lose your job. But nobody can take away your self love list list. You I love always, that. always can add to it. Thank and then you. secondly. Say the scary things out loud. Right, okay. So take away the power from them by voicing them. That's that's definitely given me a lot of power. And I'm sorry for talking too much. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Like I said, I could talk to you mm-hmm. forever. Um, you have inspired something inside me. And I think you will, to everyone that listens to this episode, say thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing such a big part of you with us. You know, like all the work you do all around the world, it's going to help so many people. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.